Hello, my name is Robert Tram, your host today on Future Now Radio. And our special guest is Isabel Nessie from the US. At Future Now Radio, we invite active visionaries that are in the process of creating a collaborative world media platform to explore concepts and understandings around new systems of sustainability and post-scarcity. Future Now Radio is a free station bypassing the mainstream media by offering programs and inspiring original and regenerating perspectives to address world problems and offer positive grassroots and meta-level solutions. About Isabel, Isabel is in the engagement and content lead at the Wellbeing Economy Alliance, or we all. Her work aims to share the many stories of well-being economies all over the world, plus create meaningful ways for the larger We All Network to collaborate together. She graduated from the Elon University and currently lives in Nairobi, Kenya. Hello, Isabel. Thanks for being on the show. Great to have you. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Awesome. I just wanted to uh, start with a gift, a small gift. And uh, because I read something uh, nice about you on your LinkedIn profile, and I want to share it with our listeners. So, and somebody uh, has uh, put a recommendation there, which says Isabel is a creative problem solver with an entrepreneurial spirit. She approaches her work with a keen eye towards efficiency, effectiveness, and sustainability. In addition, being an impressively hard worker, Isabel brings charisma, warmth, and humor to the workplace. She has a unique ability to make others around her feel comfortable, a skill which was exceptionally important in Tabora where mutual trust and strong relationships enabled the business to reach new heights. Having said that all, Isabel, please share with us about yourself and how you feel about that. That's very nice. Thank you. Well, that is, I was wondering, okay, what, what is he reading? Um, but that is from a coworker of mine when I lived and worked in a very rural village in Tanzania after I graduated university. And I was the only foreigner, lived by myself, young white woman in a, in a village of probably like 3,000 Tanzanians. Um, and I worked with eight women to help them build a small business. Um, and they made potato chips, peanuts, and popcorn. And that is where that recommendation, I suppose, uh, comes from. And it feels nice to have you read it aloud. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 beautiful i think uh, because uh it says so many great things about you and what specifically what i lo love is that the humor to the workplace so how, how do you how do you see how do you do that exactly bring humor uh, to it? <laughs> um well i think i am quite sarcastic so um and i i like to to laugh so i try I'm quick, you know, so I'll be, we can be in, um, what did I say? Yes. The other day, our website was down and our team, half our team's on vacation under the year. 
And so we needed to fix it. And so I wrote on our Slack channel, you know, I fixed the website and I am, you know, best friends now with the, with the GoDaddy chatbots, which obviously you can't be friends with a uh, chatbot. And obviously it was very frustrating um, to speak with a bunch of robots days on end, um, but trying to make light of a kind of frustrating situation. So I think mm. um, by bringing some, kind of dry humor lightens lightens the workplace a little bit yeah so so when you say i'm a bit sarcastic or your humor is uh, yeah. and and i love that part so where is it coming from you know <laughs> great question um i'm the middle child of two other sisters so i have three sisters and I think it probably comes from being a little bratty as a child and knowing kind of how to twist the knife or like get, you know, get my sisters to get a rise out of them. I've never thought about this until I'm now voicing it, but I would imagine that it is probably learnt from that. I get along very well with my sisters now and I love them both very much and I'm not uh, bratty and twisting the knife on them, but uh, yeah, not anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, Good. that's probably, that's probably where it comes from. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Isabel, your mission at the, we all economy, well-being economy, there's a lot in that word. Can you describe? So what does it mean? Yeah. There is a lot in that word. And I'm sure if you asked each of my coworkers, we would all create a very different definition based on our experience and context. For me, the well-being economy is trying to redefine the end of what we're hoping to achieve as opposed to, so like as our economy stands today, Growth is the end when we're confusing the ends and the means. Growth should be a means to an end. And right now we just stop at economic growth, create more jobs, grow GDP, business. It's great. So for me, the well being economy is saying, okay, growth can be a tool to achieve the ends that we would like. And the ends that we would like are social and economic, uh, ecological well being. We want humans to flourish. We want people to live good lives. We want people to be cared for, basic needs to be met, opportunities provided. And we want a healthy planet that can sustain us without extracting too much from it. And so it's about reprioritizing, I would say. So like looking at when we make policies or decisions in our from our own individual lives to if you are a business or a government, um, what's the goal? Is the goal to grow the economy for growth's sake or is the goal to support human and ecological well-being? Yeah, great. So if I sense into it, do you see it as um, that we sort of tweak the current systems we have or is it about bringing in a total new shape of economy or is there something specific you want to mention? Yeah, I mean, so it depends on your context. I think 
at we all we focus very much on the global north and the reason why we focus most mostly on the global north is because the global north is the one that sort of created the problems to begin with when we look at the current system and how it's set up there's a lot of silos that exist let's look at just transportation let's look at just uh, food access let's look at just you know housing and what speaking and developing a system that's based on these silos is that there's no inter intercommunication and there's no space for the interconnectedness that exists you cannot make transportation policy without looking at housing but our system does not account or provide for the interconnectedness that exists so when we're talking about building a well-being economy we're talking about changing the way that we think i mean the reason why we have these silos is because it's easier to in many ways right it's like it's, it's easier to just kind of box things and and think about them as independent but what's really needed is a shift in how we approach complex problems acknowledging problems as complex problems strengthening the communication between the kind of stakeholders within the system but also creating a system that can support interconnectivity and that does not exist and so i can't tell you how i mean depending on what system we're speaking about whether it's in your home within your friends within your business in your job or within your local community or as a globe right there are many different pathways and approaches that you could take but the point is that we need to start to analyze how we approach problems how we account for interdisciplinary topics to coexist and then how we address problems based on that connectivity and that togetherness that doesn't exist in our system today yeah yeah if i hear you correctly so taking a look uh, at the more holistic level at our current models and systems and uh, i totally uh, yeah resonate with the fact you're saying uh, there are a lot of silos so and that are these positive feedback loops if we can call it that they are missing or they're not yeah fully there so that's that's uh and uh, yeah i'm i think that's very important also to make this visible and uh and that's why we are talking to each other also at the moment i wanted to ask you uh and we will talk a little bit more later about i think um, because we have a big question about new systems, about uh, the well-being economy. I want to ask you, Isabel, what made you decide to become a change maker or a transition engineer or a sustainability officer? And what made you decide to fully focus on your calling? Oh, that's a nice question. Um, well, I think I've always been someone who challenges what is presented in front of me. When I was in undergrad at university, I saw what was presented in front of me in terms of the curriculum that I could study. And I thought, 
I want to make my own. I want to do something that's different than, than this. So I decided to create my own major, which was sustainable business development. So I built my own curriculum based off of like, I took the business courses and then I took environmental policy law, environmental economics, and, and took kind of a, a more um, environmental course, course load. And I think corporate social responsibility was sort of my capstone project. Granted, this was in 2015. I mean, it's not that long ago, but I feel like CSR sometimes gets a bad rep these days. Yeah, and then I, I lived and worked in Tanzania. I moved out to Colorado and I met um, Hunter Lovins, who's an author uh, that wrote Natural Capitalism. And she has a small nonprofit called Natural Capitalism Solutions. And it was so surreal to have the opportunity to work with her because I had read her book in undergrad and she was um, kind of an inspiration for the major that I created. I remember she came to Elon and I saw her speak and she was doing a lot of work with John Fullerton on the regenerative economy. And we hosted an event in 2017 or 18 called the Regenerative Future Summit. And at the, what birthed from that event was the Wellbeing Economy Alliance. And so I was sort of there, you know, at the, the very start where she's asking the crowd to give the seed funding for we all. And I ended up changing jobs entirely. I, I left Natural Capitalism Solutions, but my whole focus has been very much around reducing inequality. Um, and so I was thinking, okay, let me, I worked in the private sector and thought, okay, let me figure out how like money flows in the system. Um, and then shortly thereafter, started working part-time at We All. And then I think the well-being economy is in my blood, you know, like it's it's how I see the world now. I, living in Nairobi, I, um, one of my friends will always comment like, oh, you know, they'll catch me at a party talking to someone and the conversation's always about economic systems change. I'll always like bring, bring it back. So that maybe they're talking to me about whatever they're doing, if it's refugees or they're working on water or they're working on solar energy, I'll kind of get them to have the conversation with me about, okay, how does your work that you're doing on the ground impact the larger system? Do you think it's beneficial? Why am I not? Whatever. That was a bit of a long-winded answer, but I feel as though I, in a way, fell into some of this work and I now can't imagine being without it. And it feels so obvious to me that everyone take an interest in how the global economic system functions and its purpose. And I think it's been very gratifying to see not necessarily the well-being economy as a concept. I mean, absolutely the well-being economy as a concept has grown, but the desire to change the global economic system seems to be a very known, like the fractures of the global economic system seem to be very well known. So it's not necessarily a new idea. And so when you speak to people about the system and it being broken, you don't have to start from square one. Um, and especially after COVID, everything's exposed. It's obvious that the system's broken. And also depending on where you live and then the US, I mean, we could come up with so many examples, our healthcare system as the primary ridiculous system that is completely dysfunctional. 
and I just feel passionate that if things don't make sense, why are we doing it? And if we're not, what is the point of any of it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. That's, uh, it's great to listen to you and, and, uh, because I firstly, I wanted to ask you, do you have a feeling now that you sort of arrived at the way you are, but maybe the, this is not a fair question because our life is a journey and we never know where we will be in a few years from now, but yeah. So can you see the, the current crisis that we have? I mean, it's sort of, it, if you take a look at it, it sort of makes obvious sense, doesn't it? To have a well-being economy because the system should work for every one of us, I think, or mm. at least, and, uh, not only for people, also for nature, but somewhere along the line, the last 50 years, we sort of seem to have lost track of it or forgot about it. And, uh, now, and I think the last 50 years, we had the bandwidth probably to keep on going what we were doing, but now this bandwidth is sort of, it's not there anymore. We reached, we reached the end of the bandwidth. And, uh, so I was wondering if you see the current crisis, we have climate crisis, Corona, as sort of a transition phase that will speed things up. I would love to say absolutely a hundred percent COVID and climate change really woke the world up. And in some ways, yeah, it did. It's beautiful to see sometimes how quickly things can change. So all of a sudden everyone can work remotely overnight. Stunning. Great. Let's not now continue the argument that we know to be false, that you have to be in the workplace to be productive. Um, I, I hope the four day work week comes in the same rate and pace for me, the biggest hurdle that will prevent change is the lack of choice because the system is set up in such a way that they're funneling people on a track and there isn't a lot of choice in this track. So if you go to school and you study art, your parents are going to discourage you from studying art because how are you going to pay your bills? And how are you going to pay your bills? Because our economy doesn't support an artist's economy. And if you live in the US, because I'll speak from my context, like you need to pay your rent and healthcare and have a car and pay for really expensive food and, you know, be able to live a, a little, have a little leisure in your life. I mean, it's, it's incredibly expensive to live in our world these days. And so the need to have an income and money, that is why our priorities are misaligned because in order to live a good life, you need to be able to financially support yourself in doing that. And there aren't any choices to support yourself and choose a different path or there are very few choices. I think that COVID and the climate crisis terrify and exhaust people. And I don't know if that fear and exhaustion will lead to like a feeling of hopelessness or if it will lead people to try and change the system. I think it's really hard because it feels really cemented. Like it feels like, I mean, in certain areas, it's very exciting to see, I think Europe 
is doing is very progressive in this way. I think they most most countries in Europe and are that are part of the EU, you know, they they there there is more action toward climate and there's more consideration for COVID. It doesn't exist in the US. I mean just it doesn't. And I think it it feels really cemented. And it's hard for me to find hope looking at that system. But what I do feel optimistic about is sort of the 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 fact that it's not lost on a majority of people that the system is broken. That's progress. The fact that the younger generation, and I know this is everyone's banking on the younger generation to do something, but I really think the younger generation will be able to do something. Yeah, I um, and in many ways, like COVID, just it awakened people to ask the question of what do you really value? And I think the more that people start to question things, the more that change can happen. But if we're like these little busy bees running around, we're flying here, we're flying there, we're going to a conference, and we're doing this, and we're doing like the the fluidity of that system prevented so many people from any sort of inquiry. And now that system's being disrupted and it's providing space for people to ask questions around what they value and what's important to them and what they want for their lives. And that's a start. Yeah, that's beautiful. And that's how we hopefully can see the positive side effect from it. And uh, I'm not sure how it works. Maybe you can explain it, but apparently we need something, a shock like this mm. to start thinking about what do what are actually what are our values, right? What what is uh, yeah, the, the right thing to do. I was just checking, I'm very intuitive. And uh, I make no secret out of it. So I was just checking, talking to a friend a few days ago, and we made a couple of videos about the Great Pause, about mm -hmm. what is happening, and that this happened two years ago. Uh, and the last one, it's a series out of three. The last one was uh, finished a year ago. And then my friend asked, if we are going to produce a fourth video, what would it be about? And what came up for me, Isabel, was the, the five stages of grief. And mm. uh, I, I took a look at it and because the stages are, it starts with uh, denial. Then we have anger. Then people are bargaining. Then follows depression. And after that is acceptance. And as I feel it, and I'm wondering how you see it, I still have a feeling that we are pinging through all these emotions, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, but we haven't come up to the terms of accepting that there is something crucially wrong with not only because we have COVID, but the, the root causes why COVID got here. I don't hear a lot of people talking about it, about deforestation and wild animal markets and fish markets because these farmers are poor. You don't hear people talking about it. We're all trying to fight the symptoms. So what the, what will it take to reach this acceptance that we accept our current situation, do you think? 
Oh, that's a good question. Um, what I was thinking as you were speaking is that the principles of the current system make us see in these modes of scarcity. We don't have enough. And I think what people, it was difficult for people is accepting that they might have to give some things up in order when the system changes, right? So, but we can also change, we can change that narrative to be a system, to be a narrative of abundance, right? Like we have enough, you have plenty, you can see your family once, you know, a year and, 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 and instead of people thinking that change means that we're gonna take things from you, the story needs to be that in this system, in this new economic system, we are going to give things to you. That's a four-day work week. That's healthcare. That's education. That's security and safety for your children. That's a park. That's a bike path. But instead, people see it as, oh, my God, you're going to take my money. You're going to take my freedom to fly. You're going to take, you know, fish from me. You're going to take meat from me. And yeah, maybe you won't be able to meet, eat as much fish or fly 20 times a year. But also a majority of the emissions that are caused is from the uber, uber rich. So and I think the and this is it's I mean, I'm, I'm going on many tangents in my head. You know, I'm just deciding which one I, I want to go down. Um, but I think in order for us to accept the situation. There needs to be a togetherness feeling like a sense that you're not you didn't earn every single penny that you have in your bank account and the system change that's coming is coming for you and all your pennies that you have in your bank account um, but an acceptance that you have enough and you will have enough and what is enough and it's going to be okay and this is this is what needs doing for the flourishment of future generations in the planet that we live on. I think alternatively, like for those that don't necessarily see a problem with the system, there is a heavy dependence on that technology will, will technology our way out of it. You know, we'll, we'll just do de desalination and carbon capture and everything's gonna be fine. Mm -hmm. I think that's naive. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of fear and that will also spike the polarization that exists. So it's like, yes, the global economic system needs to change and we need to really reevaluate what matters and our internal bodily systems, brain function, how we are, how we interact, what we value, like those also need to change in order for us as people and beings to accept each other, let alone accept the gravity of the situation that we're facing. And that's a tricky one, I think, yeah. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's pretty clear listening to you that we all need each other and it starts 
yeah, the values within ourselves, but also when we zoom out the values regarding next generations. I love that. Is it okay if I ask you a, a few personal questions? Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering how mm -hmm. do you how do you combine your life as a change maker and organizer and how do you keep balance in your life? Hmm. My personal goal in life is to be the most authentic person that I can be. So my I want to be myself. I want to know myself. I want to be able to have clear communication between how my body's feeling and what's happening in my brain. And for that goal to be met or for that deepening to be had, I try and meditate. Doesn't happen every day. I exercise. I cook a lot for myself and try to eat good food. And I have a very strong support system of friends. Um, and I'm constantly showing my own vulnerability to allow for other people to show their own vulnerability. And it's much more engaging for me to sit one-on-one -on -one with someone than to be at a party, although I am quite extroverted. Um, but I prefer like the deepening of, of connection and wanting to get into the things. And I think about these things all the time. I don't read about them all the time. I think there is a level of distance that I have to take in order to keep my own well-being. Like one thing that I really don't like is how there's a lot of blame on the individual like take shorter showers eat vegan fly once a year you know like taking on board these individual actions um when truly it's these global where we get energy from essentially that is the root cause of much of this so trying to not allow that guilt to um like you don't, I just never, I never want to live in guilt. Um, it's a really unhealthy feeling. I live far from family and I would say that that triggers feelings and imbalance. What am I doing living in Kenya when my whole family lives in the US? Um, how do I justify that to myself, to other people? Why am I making the decision that I'm making? That question makes me feel out of balance. Um, and the answer that I give myself is that I have an incredible community here and I'm experiencing new things all the time. And I'm constantly faced with really interesting questions around race and inequality and colonialism. I would say I'm meeting people that are doing really incredible, interesting things. I think that most people that choose to live abroad are almost like pre-vetted. Like there is a certain value system that, that people hold. Um, and so majority of people that I meet, there's maybe like an 80% chance that I like them. 
Whereas maybe if I was in the U.S., it'd be like a 40% chance. I don't know. Yeah, and I think I, I um, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting, I'm, now I'm, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but um, balance is tricky. I focus very much on maintaining a healthy body and mind so that in every action that's taking place outside of that, it feels at least that I'm being honest with myself. And I try not to think too, too much about my individual actions. I mean, I, I feel like I live by a value base that supports the economy that I want to live in, but I can't take on board too much because it's not healthy to live with this sense that you're doing something wrong. Or, you know, if I felt bad because I flew home twice a year, well, that's not healthy of a thought. I'm going to fly home. I'm going to go see my family. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm still in conflict. If you, if you can't tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. But I do, I also hear uh, a, a deep sense of self love when you are speaking because you, you, you choose to do, because what I'm hearing is that you, you are there in Nairobi because this is what you want to do. This gives you energy, hopefully. <laughs> and, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. And, uh, and, and it's probably your self love that says, yeah, I, I deserve to learn from other cultures. I deserve to make deeper connections. And, uh, mm. and uh, yeah, and I, I totally can understand that you sometimes feel guilty that happens. Yeah. I think like, yeah, the, the life is too short to not love yourself. It's just too short. And I used to be riddled with insecurity and worry. You know, I'd be like, oh, did I, did Robert like me? Did I do a good job? Do you think that he, you know, was that a useful conversation? And like, think back and it's just too short. It's too short to, to, to feel that way. And there's too many people that feel that way. There's like enough insecurity in the world. There's enough self-doubt and everyone has it. I have insecurity and I have self-doubt. I'm not saying that I don't, but I'd rather not feed it more than it needs feeding. So yeah, I do. I do try to, um, to love myself. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> I wanted to go a little bit deeper if possible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I want to ask you, uh, did you experience uh, moments of despair on your journey? And which ones uh, are they? And how did you overcome your challenges? Yeah, cool. I'll share a very personal story, but I think this is like the the story that's coming to mind. Um, so I initially moved to Nairobi in 2019 with a partner that I was dating and he had gotten a job here and I, I sort of followed him out. We moved in together, it was really intense. And um, I'd never lived with him before. And we lived in an unfurnished house. And anyway, I um, I quickly 
became, I guess in retrospect, almost like manic, like I just was not happy, but I was feeling so conflicted because I loved him, but I also didn't want to be with him or like, I loved him, but I wasn't, I wasn't, um, sold on the relationship or I don't know, I was experiencing doubt and I, uh, cheated and I just thought, who am I? I, um, that's not the Isabel that I know. Uh, Isabel wouldn't do that. Um, that's not something, you know, I've, I, I thought I would never do that. I never thought I would do that. And it was easy to do. It was easier than I thought. Uh, it just happened. And, um, oh my God. And then like COVID hit and I had to leave. I left Kenya, I went back to the U S and I was living in my parents' attic and I was sad. I was so sad. Um, I, talk about self-love, like I had none of it. Um, I just could not justify my actions. I could not accept that I did that. I couldn't reconcile with my, with who I was and the behavior that I, um, that I'd uh, shown. And I was so hurt by the hurt that I caused my partner. Um, and it took a very long time. It took a very long time. And I remember, so this all happened like November of 2019, December, Jan, Feb, into March. And I remember I read a book and it was talking about that every woman has, I mean, every person has, book was calling it like a skeletal uh, woman. You know, or like every person has a sort of skeletal side. And if you if you don't befriend or get to know that skeletal side, um, it will come back for you and it's going to, you know, it'll get you. And basically, like, accept all parts of yourself, accept yourself as a complex being, accept yourself as someone who who cheats on their partner who they love and know that maybe it just wasn't right, you know, and, 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 and be okay with that as outcome, even though you did cause pain and da, da, da. And so anyway, I read this book. I was like, okay, okay, okay. I don't feel as like, I'm not carrying this sense of guilt anymore. And I was driving to Vermont to go see a friend and colleague, um, Amanda. And I started crying and I was like, I think, I think I, um, I think I love myself again. I think I, I think I can forgive myself for this thing that I did. And I still was upset and still cried and still like, I would say I didn't really fully forgive myself until probably December of 2020. So it took really a full year, but yeah, that was, I was, there's nothing worse than going to bed crying and waking up crying. Like you, you go to bed and, and you're upset and you wake up and you think it's a new day and you're still in tears. And that was many, many days. Um, yeah, it's probably not that foreign for many and it's not the most tragic of events, but um, it was for me at the time and a big lesson and acceptance of, of what I thought was so horrible and wrong. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. 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 Wow. I think it's beautiful uh, because, I mean, forgiving yourself was a, a good way, I think, to uh, to get through it. I mean, we're, yeah. all, we're all humans, you know, we make mistakes. If you want to call it a mistake, because I, I experienced a similar situation and uh, because I got divorced five years ago mm. and uh, just before that a year before it i met someone else which i had a very deep connection with very uh, also on a spiritual level and something was missing in in mm. my in my relationship with my uh with my wife so so either way it would have probably happened there was, there was a reason why i went looking somewhere else so and that's yeah. and that makes sense so yeah, I, I totally forgive you for that. <laughs> it's not up to me, but <laughs> no. But I think I mean, and I really don't mind because I think so many people. Um, yeah. So real. It's so human to. Yeah, do that. Like it, it's very. Yeah, I think many people experience um, that's kind of of a thing. Yeah, it's very confusing at the time. You feel crazy. You're like, I know I shouldn't do this, but I can't stop. <laughs> So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's probably even unhealthy to not give in because. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that might lead to much more frustration or. And we grow totally. from it. We grow from it, right? We do. Yeah, 100%. Mm. Awesome. Mm. <clears throat> Sorry, I want to ask you a big question. Yeah. And. Um, and we ask it every time and every time in an interview, the answer is different. So I'm very curious okay. to hear yours. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's pretty safe to say that our current governance and economic systems are outdated at the least. Mm. And basically I feel that they are holding each other hostage. And I'm saying this because politics govern often in favor of the economy and jobs and so on and growth. And the economy is dictating which kind of degenerative governance we apply. So I want to ask you, Isabel, how do you uh, feel, how uh, do we as a human race provide and distribute abundance globally as well as locally while maintaining an ethic of absolute ecological sustainability and protecting the right of everyone and of every species on the planet, not only to exist, but to thrive. How do we best organize to make all of the above happen? When I read this question, because you sent it to me beforehand, I thought, how am I supposed to know the answer to this? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if I knew the answer, I'd be a millionaire. Um, yeah. Yes, but I, I did think about it. Um, and I liked that how you phrase it, how do we provide and distribute abundance? I think that's a beautiful um, phrase because it doesn't mean just material, right? It's like abundance, both on a yeah. psychological, but um, also material. So I think I'll start with the, the sort of psychological first and then I'll, I'll go. So I think the, fir the first thing is like, we do need more love in this world. 
Yes. Like we do need to be kinder to each other. I think asking the question of what is enough and each of us knowing what is enough, trying not to complain and, and checking our own egos and where things are coming from. Like each of us, I think have a responsibility to each other and to the world to try and live in honesty and in love. I, I really, I mean, maybe that's a little cheesy, but I think truly like we're all trying. I really do believe that everyone on this planet is trying very hard. I think life is hard and I think we're just all out here doing the best we can. And if we come from that perspective, we might be kinder to the person that brings us frustration in our daily life. Right. Um, and I think it starts small. It starts just with yourselves and says sort of saying this. So like, that's like the inner circle that needs how we provide and distribute abundance. Right. And then I think as we, we expand out of this, it's asking questions and building a bit of a curiosity. What do you need? Not assuming what someone needs, asking them, what do you need? What do you want? What's going to, what's going to help you live your best life? And I think we often assume that we know the answers to people's problems and then get the money and put those problems, put those actions into place and they fall flat because they're not meeting the need of that individual. There's a bit of a cultural superiority piece there as well. And then I think kind of going a level outside of that, it would be to ask what's the point of whatever larger system, whether that's like in your business or in your local community or in the larger government at large, like what is our aim? What is our goal here? And so at We All, we talk about We All Needs. There are five values that underpin a well-being economy. That's fairness, that's connection, participation, dignity, and nature. And so I would say that how do we, as a human race, as a, as a government body, um, provide for and distribute, like keep those values at your core of what, of everything that you're doing. And how do we ensure that, how do we, okay, let me say, how do we best organize to make kind of all of the above happen? I think participation screams to me as like the biggest thing there if you're trying to support a local community they know what they need they know what they know what is needed there and um just giving a little bit more like autonomy maybe or responsibility or trust in people to choose what's what's right for them like remove some of the bureaucracy within a system so that it can kind of have a little bit of fluidity in it as opposed to rigidity because i don't know if that's a word but the more rigid something is like yeah it it, it doesn't leave a lot of space for the uniqueness that is humankind or the uniqueness that is that is nature um that would be that would be my sort of answer i think a little bit of love and a little more fluidity <laughs> and uh and a little more curiosity
in people and in each other and in the system like reflect like is the is what you've implemented working is it working no it's not because the incentive structure is probably wrong or something something right like there's what are you saying this positive feedback loop like is there are we are we feedbacking on the system and are we trying to improve the system are we yeah is there space for it to grow and evolve and transform yeah we need more room for that i think yeah thank you wonderful reflection and uh, beautiful answers thank you yeah i think uh, isabel we're getting uh, to the end phase of the interview mm -hmm. and uh, yeah i want to ask you are there any other topics you want to talk about um i have a question for you of the interviews that you've done and in, in your experience in the world what is what is the collective sentiment that you hear from people or what is okay no here yeah what's the collective sentiment that you hear from people and what what type of hypocrisy do you often see if any i think it's interesting to look at hypocrisy i think it's innate in humankind but uh yeah so and you mean with hypocrisy so people who are sort of pretending to create a better world or in what sense do i can I? or maybe I, they I you know maybe they say for example a boss that i used to work with you know would um yeah don't put this on on the record when i worked with hunter she's out here in the world talking about you know economic systems change and you know needing needing to to change like re to regenerative agriculture and these things but would eat meat every single day from like five guys and i just found it so mm. interestingly hypocritical like you're specifically advocating for regenerative beef and specifically out there preaching about regenerative agriculture and and yeah. then it very much so making not just like on the occasion but daily a decision that's out of line with that but it also that could be hypocritical of me to even say now because i just told you earlier in this interview that i don't like to put the guilt on the individual right so maybe she had that same thinking but or like someone that's that says uh asks a question but then comes out and, with the solution right you just need to ask people but really what people need is da 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 da, da right um so i don't know if you see any yeah hip hop like of that yeah yeah okay you interview I, people. I get the gist thanks thanks yeah for using that example um so the interesting part of uh, what i'm doing with uh, as a host for future now radio and with all the interviews is that there are so many positive people with so many positive solutions and i just want to to yeah share that on the first place because there are really really like half a million or a million groups active groups and platforms and organizations and ngos and all kinds of people who want to create a better world so i can see that that everyone holds a piece of the puzzle i also 
I also noticed that we all think that, or we, I'm generalizing, but a lot of people think, ah, this will solve the problem. And what we are doing will solve the problem. So in a way, I'm sort of sometimes missing that when you zoom out a bit, like, yes, and, because it's all mm. connected. So it means everybody, what you're doing is great, it's important, and it influences the whole shebang, for sure, here on the planet, and even if you want to connect it to the universe. But I do sense that, uh, yeah, this is, I feel it's missing a bit, this overview, this holistic overview, okay, it's all important what we are doing, we're just doing a different part of the, of the whole mm. puzzle. And I also sense that a lot of um, motivation is still on focusing on fighting symptoms instead of mm -hmm. taking a look at the root causes. I think mm -hmm. we, we, we overlook it a lot and, and we think with fighting these symptoms that we are doing, of course it's important, we are doing great work, but it makes much more sense to me at least to go actually to the root cause and ask ourselves, be honest with ourselves, does this really, where is it coming from the problem? And is this the best way to solve it? Like uh, this um, CO2 solutions, you know, storing them in the ground and stuff. Yeah, that's fighting mm -hmm. symptoms. It, it, it helps. Or planting yeah. new trees even, it helps. But why do we still have these coal uh, you know, energy plants and stuff. And it, and that mm -hmm. it's all connected to the economy and all kinds of other sectors. So, yeah, but in general, I think, yeah, about uh, hypocrisy. Yeah, I think I sort of, uh, when I turned 50, I dropped on my fears, but I also tried to not to be judgmental about it. Because, mm. because I, I feel you can do good work and uh, yeah, if I have to be judgmental about someone who is sort of uh, trying to create a better environment, but they eat meat seven times a week, that's their choice. Yeah. And I, I don't feel it's up to me to say, hey, man, that's bad. And I, I also eat meat, but not seven times a week, maybe three times a week. And that's a lot less than I did before. But yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to convince people that they should live vegan or, and that's, that's often also what you notice, you know, I'm, it's one of my, uh, my hot topics, uh, and that's talking about dogma because we so easily fall back into these dogmatic thinking patterns about, mm -hmm. oh, what I'm doing is the right thing to do. And what you're doing is different. So that's not good. That's bad. And this is where we create this already this polarization from the start, the split second mm -hmm. when you start judging. So yeah, maybe we can talk a little bit more if you want about it, because uh, yeah, I, I like the conversation. <laughs> no, it's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I hear you with the, it's change is hard. So we're, we're conditioned to think and feel a certain way and subscribe to certain dogmas and it makes us feel safe and comfortable. And moving out and beyond them takes real change. Yeah. Yeah. So enjoyable. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. 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 And I think it's even 
it creates so much space if we if we hopefully can learn to be more flexible with our attachments yes the, wow then yeah life gets much more interesting at least that's how i experience it yeah yeah for sure awesome um, how can we support your uh, activities your projects there's a website where people can go to or yeah so check out weall.org w-e-a-l-l.org and become a member of the alliance um and then there are different working groups that you can join once you're a member and you can also join the we all citizens platform where if you're living in a certain location you can find other people that are living in that location and reach out to them and get a coffee so that's weallcitizens.org but you can also find it from our site our twitter account has most information that you might ever want and need and that's we all underscore alliance and also our linkedin page is another another one to follow which is the same thing we all so i think you'll be able to find everything there okay great thanks so much isabel for being on the show thank you too i really loved it have a nice one and thank you for listening to this podcast. We talked to Isabel Nessi from We All Economy, a global collaboration of organizations, alliances, movements, and individuals working together to change the economic system.